Welcome to the DBS Films Podcast, a behind-the-scenes look into making indie films. Learn from DBS Films about their process, tips, and fun stories that all come with making multiple movies a reality. Hey everybody, welcome to DBS Films Podcast. My name is Kellen, with me as always is my brother Brendan. Together we make movies with DBS Films. Today's episode, we're going into part four of a day-by-day breakdown of the production of our 15th feature film. That is currently The Girl in Cabin 14. Be sure to take a look at our newest film, Horror in the Forest Online. Give it a rent and review. It means the world to us. As well as take a look at our Discord channel online because we make movies for our fans with our fans. So if you ever want to be part of the process on scene with us, that is the place to be. So picking up, we have four days done. We're feeling pretty good. I would say, again, we got the torture scene done. We got... John Fantasia, our property manager out of there. And really, we got one big hump to overcome. That is a very big hump, and that is the intro. And we've said it once, we'll say it again. Intros are incredibly critical, especially, I think, even more for found footage now, based on our thought process with Tubi, potentially. So really, really important. Do you want to highlight, once again, Brendan, why intros are incredibly critical and super important, especially nowadays in the filmmaking landscape? Yeah, intros um, are probably the most important part of the movie. Um, Gone are the days where, you know, you have people sitting in movie theaters without their phones. Um, That's just not, you know, our audience. That's not a lot of people's audience anymore. Um, And especially if you're an indie filmmaker, um, you know, it's just slow burn movies have their place. Uh, I'm a huge fan of slow burn movies. I'd love to make slow burn horror thriller movies, but you know, where we are right now as independent filmmaker, you just have to understand the customer acquisition is basically they see an ad on Facebook that directs them to Tubi and they start to watch your movie for a couple of minutes. If they get bored, they'll turn it off or change the channel. Um, And it's the same thing with Amazon. You know, when our stuff gets to the free models, then basically, yeah, you have to have a good intro. If we get someone to rent it, um, the intro is still important because, you know, Amazon looks at the data on how many people complete your movies. And if you have a high turnoff rate immediately, um, you're going to get penalized for that stuff. So, you know, there's so much content out there. There's, you know, people's time is so limited you really want to start with a bang. And I think it's a big time problem with a lot of indie movies that I watch where 15, 20 minutes, um, you know, basically goes by before you actually see something happen. And basically the the way we're moving now with our intros, um, you know, I think we did a good job in Horn in the Forest. I think we did a good job in Cold Grave. I think we did a good job in Bigfoot. I think we did a good job with this one. Just basically within six minutes, the audience should understand what's going on. They should understand the threat and they should have something startling or hooky kind of happen. And I think we nailed that. This was almost like a six minute short that kind of will play out the rest of the movie. And I thought we did a good job with it. I thought the actors were fantastic. And I'm really excited to see this because I do think this probably is our best intro to date. That is always music to my ears because it is something where, again, the intro is super critical, something that we really focus a lot on. And a huge shout out to Kyrie and Austin for absolutely crushing it. And this was something where the intro kind of got a little bit of a mix up. Isabella was initially designed for the role of the uh, intro girl. Always super critical, as we mentioned. We had to shift things around. We got Kyrie to step up. And then we had an absolutely amazing performance from Austin. So huge shout out to them. But this was one in pre-production where, again, of all the areas, you know, 
I think we were confident because we kind of knew we had the team behind it, but things were shifted up and it was a brand new special effect with the chainsaw. So there's still a lot of things up in the air. How are you kind of feeling on the intro? Because I feel like of all the scenes in pre-production, this was the one that kind of got, you know, jumbled a little bit more. And there's always a risk when you're doing a special effect for the first time. Oh, I feel good with it. Uh, I feel like it's pretty easy to do. Um, and we used a lot of stuff that used in Cold Grave. Um, so we're pulling from scares and stuff from that. And, you know, I felt pretty confident. And Austin and Kyrie did a fantastic job in pre-production. They really did. So, you know, when you have, when you've done some extent before, um, there's a comfort level when the actors are doing excellent stuff, you know, in pre-production, the moody, the meetings are, you know, flowing really well. The changes that they're making to their dialogue are great. Um, it's really easy for me. You know, I think I, my main focus was, all right, like, you know, how do we properly build the tension in here? How do we get pop scares in here? And then how do we get that final kill? And, you know, that's on, you know, taking a little bit. And once again, I'm not really worried with her. Um, I think we did a good job as long as, you know, this chainsaw stuff looks good, which I think it will. Um, I think this is going to be a really good six minute short. Completely agree. I mean, I really do think it is the case of, um, you know, understanding some of the key elements there. You know, we kind of understand what an intro scene needs to be, as we kind of mentioned before, and how critical it can be. Uh, but I think what's interesting now is like kind of drawing the conclusions of what you mentioned. And like, again, you know, I think with this one, I'm always going to look back to Girl in Cabin 13. Because something like the intro, same exact concept of what we need to do. You know what I mean? We need to kind of show a scare, have a pop scare, kind of get out there. Girl in Cabin 13, pop scare one way weaker than this we use a fake suspicion of like going to black with the the phone call and it's not even related to the plot in the slightest whereas if you look at this one now multi-pop scares special effects so you want to just kind of take a, a second to draw a comparison to that because when i look at that you know it, it's crazy to see the difference and again you know we're talking this was filmed essentially two years apart and you know the the improvements just from again same type of concept. We're basically given the same type of thing that we need to execute on. And the difference between the intro that you see in this one and the intro that you see in Girl in Cabin 13, um, especially because it's kind of a similar, you know, masked concept of the masked man as an intruder. I I just, it, it's amazing to see how much you do progress when you kind of just continue to have these reps under your belt. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely just learning from screenwriting. It's learning from, you know, shooting and, you know, falling back on stuff that we've done before. But, you know, here's the thing with Girl in Cabin 13. It's interesting. You know, something happened. It, we could have easily had her do food, do something, some dialogue scenes, and then got them to a cabin. Um, but, you know, it was a little bit long um, because you have that food montage. You have, you know uh it's just long and played out but something happened it wasn't i don't think it was boring um the cut to black is i really don't like that um i feel like that's kind of like a cheap thing and i see it done in a lot of movies which is probably one of the reasons i try to do it but it's just a cop out i mean people want to see gore they want to see something crazy there and i'm also a huge fan of bringing in other actors besides the leads for the intro because once again, it gives the leads a night off. Um, you bring in some fresh talent. They're new faces like we talked about before. Um, and I kind of like it, especially with like in Austin's case, 
you know, Austin's a huge dude. And if he goes and he dies in the beginning and then you cut to our main leads and like they're bigger people, but like Austin is just on another level. And if he gets killed by these masked men and you know that the audience saw that, but our main characters didn't see that, I think it's, it just kind of highlights like, Hey, you know, it raises the stakes of, you know, this guy who's like six foot four, 250 pounds of solid muscle gets chopped down. Like, what are these guys going to do? Like, what's Tanner going to do? You know, he's like 150 pounds soaking wet. Um, but Tanner, you did great. So, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it definitely raises the stakes. I think it's just a, a small, subtle hint of like storytelling, just us getting better with the scripts. Dude, Tanner's gonna roundhouse kick Carl in the face. I would, I would not mess with Tanner's martial art capabilities. I, that's like a 50-50. I mean, Austin again, completely agree. Really big, intimidating dude. And let's give again a shout out to Kyrie and Austin. Um, you know, again, first time working with them. The intro is a massive, massive responsibility to have, and you're basically going out there taking multiple takes. Uh, you know, wandering through the woods, Austin's covered in blood, having a blood cannon shoot off of him, doing all of these things. Uh, he fell for us, you know, and that was super cool in the sense that, like, he, I, I do like seeing that. Now, everyone listening out there, don't be like, oh, no, I got to, like, eat it or whatnot. But, you know, it was one of those things where, um, and I don't know how much he knew he was signing himself up for doing it every single take. And did he know how many takes Brennan usually does? So that might have ended up getting him. But it is something where, you know, it's not much to do it once or twice. But if you're continuing to do it, but you're doing it because you just want to make every single scene a little bit better that you can, that motivation, that attitude, you know, I think both Kyrie and Austin are, again, a testament to how you work again with us. And you just kind of want to talk about working with them, having them on set, because I mean, honestly, that carries an intro and you can have a team that's not as motivated as that. And it literally drags production And when we're filming something that is as important as the intro. You need to maintain those spirits high. And I would say working with them was just super fun. Yeah, they both did a fantastic job. Kyrie was fantastic in pre-production. She is fantastic on set. Definite vibe check uh, fit everything that we did, um, you know, as far as just, you know, being on set and with us, they were both fantastic. Austin was also fantastic, did great pre-production stuff. And I mean, he came on set and he was like doing B BTS like immediately, um, which is like a huge thing. You know, he's trying to make the character good, the scene good by falling. And I'm always like, I don't, falling is pretty much on our ban list. Cause number one, like I don't want the actor to fall. And number two, like to fall convincingly is like very, very difficult. And there's no crash pad or anything. And he's just, just like, I'm doing it. I'm like, all right, well, let's see how it goes. It looked good. Um, but I think both of them will be back in future feature movies. Um, they were both fantastic. That was a hard scene. Um, it's not easy to go out there and do there's a lot of running around. There's a lot of stuff that's improv based. Um, but once again, I really think that it, it turned out well. I think this is going to be our best intro yet. Um, so they were both fantastic. And once again, you know, not only are we adding new scenes, new special effects, new techniques, we're adding new actors to our, you know, our roster. And, you know, when we do another movie again, the first people I'm going to go back to are people I've worked with before. Um, and I think Kyrie and Austin did a great job and I'd love to have them back. Definitely the case. And he already posted the behind the scenes and it came out awesome. And I'm a huge fan of that. So shout out Austin for all of that. So now let's kind of go into the big part of this. And um, as you can hear, we have chainsaws. Uh, Helen has been rocking the chainsaw. You're going to be hearing it 
seeing it all over the place. And we have another amazing addition that I will have to say I am super stoked on, very thrilled. And that is Bertha, our blood cannon, which is a pressurized cannon. And if you've seen from the behind the scenes, we have a bit more of a spray. And this is something that, again, I think this type of kill where there is a blood spray checks off one of the most important rules of filmmaking, which is you can be good, you can be bad, just don't be boring. And I think it leans into that element. That being said, we're going to figure out what looks good, what looks bad, what might be a little bit too much. But we do feature it in a few of the kills and the chainsaw being a big one. And the chainsaw, I think it's kind of, it's a textbook first time special effects. We had something that was a little bit more additional. Ended up figuring out something that still looked really, really good. We had to re-rig some of the tubes. And I think this is what our experience is with special effects again, is this is one of the issues with filmmaking where it is so incredibly tough. You can't just, again, like any kind of instrument, go practice in the corner, practice your riffs, and then be able to play your concert. You do not have all of those physical things and the team required to practice and get those things done. So again, I, I do want to kind of give a shout out to Tegan in the sense of one, having a concept when the concept didn't work for the tubing reason and then for just kind of the overall setup and how it was looking, being able to immediately pivot and then get us something that, you know, as you're mentioning, I mean, the BTS looks really good. And from what I saw in the rough edit, it looks really good to what could be a whole new class of kills for us, which is using that blood cannon, the sprays and even chainsaws. Yeah, and I mean, shout out to Tegan. Um, like I said before, I think I said in another episode, um, a lot of the stuff that we do, there's just a lot of variables to it. You know, it's just a lot of stuff where we're going to give it a shot because if we do get it and it works, it's great. You know, it's, it's fantastic. But very rarely do we get something, you know, on the first try, especially something that's as complicated as this. Um, and Tegan had a cool little rig in there. And I was like, all right, well, I think this is going to work. Um, I really did think it was going to work and it, you know, started out and we did a couple of takes and we tried to look at it and it just wasn't working. And we pivoted to, you know, another way to do it. And, you know, shout out to Tegan. She could have got upset. She could have got, you know, uh, down and the fact that this cool kill didn't really work out, but she's like, all right, you know, we pivoted, we did something else. And, you know, really with special effects with a lot of this stuff, Worst case scenario, just throw a lot of blood on there and it'll work. Um, and I don't think we did that quite to that extent, but we did something really cool. And I think it turned out well, if not better than maybe the original one was. Um, so it's definitely something, you know, we're going to work on. But I definitely think that if this works, we definitely have a new way to, you know, use the chainsaw and basically have a new kind of kill. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of the chainsaw. I have a feeling that if we do take a look at it. They might have one in the garage of the murder house potentially. So, you know, again, these things start to add up. Um, that being said, I would say this was kind of the textbook uh, night wrapping of it too. I think once we got Austin done, I think we had some Carl stuff walking around the woods, getting things pieced together. But I think this is kind of a good time to highlight the shifting sands that is a film production in the sense that you always kind of have in the back of your mind, what those shots are, what the little ones are. And I think one of the other strong benefits that we have is we kind of know how to capture those filler shots pretty easily. 
So, you know, while we're taking care of the intro stuff and while we're wrapping them, it's something where, hey, we need to get a POV of Carl out here. We need to get Helen doing this. We need to get them walking around. These little tiny shots that, again, are super critical because they basically fill in and make the pacing and everything flow. But do you want to kind of talk about how when you're on set, those are usually the scenes that can kind of make or break your schedule? Just because, again you need to get them. They're very critical, but they're so flexible and kind of easy that I can easily see how they become the first things to cut. And now we've gotten very good to where, you know, typically uh, as long as the weather holds up, we usually get the majority of our, our stuff. Things that we have to do pickups for are usually kind of planned to be picked up, pick up now. And then every once in a while we get like one or two scenes, but do you want to talk about these tiny scenes and how they kind of again, are something that if you're a filmmaker, you have to keep in the back of your mind. I think usually first-time filmmakers probably overstress about every scene and then kind of have to cut very important things. But I think as you start to progress and whatnot, it's very easy for us to keep track of them and then knock them out. And then you have the forest in the backyard. That just makes it very easy to, hey, we're done with this. I just need you. We're going to go walk out here, grab the pickaxe, look around, and then we're done. Yeah, I mean, it's just... One thing that I was thinking about the other day and I'm actually pretty proud about with our pretty much from Girl in Cabin 13 on, I can't remember the last time we just didn't cut a or we just cut a scene where I was just like, hey, all right, we don't have time for that or we're not going to do that. We're just going to get rid of this scene. I don't think we've done it in a long time. Now we've changed scenes like hand shop scene. We're just like, all right, the hand shop. But that scene still exists where Morgan Estate, Devil in the Room, we we're just like, all right, this scene's just gone. We're going to cut it. We don't have time to do it. We don't want to do it. It's just gone. Because when you do that, you, you're running, your runtime gets affected. Um, and I think that we do a good job of the stuff that we have in the script is there for a reason. Every single scene in our scripts are important, and we do a good job capturing them. If you're cutting scenes from your movie, they probably shouldn't have been there in the first place. And I think that's a good filmmaker thing. Um, good filmmaker tip for anyone is just look how we started. We were cutting a lot of stuff, but if you have the ability to cut it and still have a movie, that scene probably wasn't going to be good. You really want to leave your cuts to the edit. Um, because you really can kind of sit down and kind of look at things from a top-down perspective. But for the most part, you know, we haven't cut anything in a while. And I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. I think it's a testament to our script writing, to our production, and, you know, to scheduling as well. Yeah, that's really the case. And I would say, you know, kind of wrapping up for this episode, um, as I kind of mentioned in the first one, this was a very, very smooth production. You know, I think, again, shout out to Dylan and Tegan kind of stepping up now. Shout out to the amazing cast that we have with pre-production, but we just finished the intro. You know, when we wrapped today, um, one, I had finally gotten some sleep, which was nice, or I think I might've had to, I think I got like a few hours of sleep. I can't remember where we were really in this process, but I just remember being like, Hey, intro down. Now we really just have the climax and a few filler scenes. We have some special effects, but for the most part, we're sitting pretty good. And, you know, again, these productions, they're, they're very, very hectic. A lot can go wrong. There's a lot of money kind of weighing on it. Um, but you just want to kind of talk about how you were feeling at this point in time. And then again, you know, I think what's really cool is, you know, we're, we're closing in one more and we've doubled the hateful eight. So it's something where you're seeing this production kind of step up now. And 
I mean, I look back at like again the the speaking of the hateful eight. There's a lot of those movies where I'm blown away that we actually got something. And now the level of the process is, you know, things really have to almost more so go wrong than we need things to go right, which is like kind of the way that I feel like we were in the first eight movies. And, you know, I'm again, I think, you know, besides a little bit of sleep deprivation and a little bit of a sickness and whatever those bugs were, this was a very smooth shoot. And it's just showing kind of how things are tightening up for DBS when it comes to the production. Yeah, the production was good. Um you know, really wasn't rushing um, the Ben scene and then a little bit at the end. Um, but we had like one scene that we just kind of push it off. And once again, that was probably just my fault. But for the most part, it was smooth. Um, I thought we did a great job with this one. Um, you know, we're learning how to kind of do this stuff. Um, I think scheduling is super important. Getting the actors in, you know, super important. And just being able to get the shots and move this stuff. I think this was probably a good blend of getting the coverage that was needed, having a whole bunch of takes, but moving on and getting the rest of the movie done. Um, so I felt good with the eight days that we were there. I think that this one, I think Bigfoot was a little bit difficult because of the rain. Um, whether or not we have, would have gotten all of Bigfoot, I don't know. Because um, to see how the, you know, the rain affected it. And then this one, I really think we could have done this one in seven days. There was just a lot of weird schedule stuff in there. I wasn't pushing people as hard as we could. Um, I had a breakdown with Tegan and Dylan. Um, we just discussed like why we didn't get this thing done earlier or sooner or with less, you know, less stress. Cause the last day was just a little bit crazy. Um, I think it just came down to, you know, you just got to push people a little bit harder uh, as far as the cast and crew and the schedule is just weird. Like it's just, just a weird one. Um, so, you know, it's a testament to the team that we got this all done and we, a lot of people were sick, you know, the, the more energy on this one is a little bit different. Um, but I think for the next one, you know, really is going to mark a DBS history uh, milestone because it'll be four movies in one year, which we've never done before. Um, or we might have done in 2018. I think we might have done four. But I don't like, know if you count that because like these are like finished edit movies and like we had four things film i mean like would you even count morgan estate that thing was like yeah it was a car that just had a chassis so we we had four things but what we did potentially and again knock on wood we still got one more left friends um yeah that's gonna be impressive yeah so i think that that's good and then this will be number eight so we have the first the hateful eight and we have the the second hateful eight which we've done I think the first eight took us, what, three years, and we did these in pretty much two and a half. Um, so I think that's pretty much a, you know, it's a milestone. So I'm going to be excited to see this one. We finally have our cadence. We finally have our rhythm. But I just think, the like, looking back at the growth from um, basically the first one we shot with the Cold Grave to, you know, what's going to be Murder House 2.0, I think you're going to see a huge step up in growth in just a year. Um, so I'm excited for that one. I think that you know, finishing strong, ending the year strong um, is going to kind of keep the momentum and the morale high on this one. Um, I think already we're starting pre-production pretty much tomorrow. And I think that's going to help us out that we have a fresh two months to get through here. And the goal right now is just get cold grave off, start working on Bigfoot and then just, you know, knock this guy out. The wheels of production are grinding my friends. And again, Best thing you can do supporting us if you take a look at our movie online or in the forest, soon to be cold grave. 
soon to be whatever we call a Bigfoot project, soon to be whatever Girl in Cabin 14 is, and soon to be Murder House 2.0 as we continue to grind, make movies for our fans with our fans. Take a look at our Discord channel online. If you want to be part of the action, part of the fun, be sure to go ahead and sign up. Take a look at that because we have all of our open auditions there. And until then, have a go, my friends.